The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that was spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you, may, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Uh, yeah, Lord. Uh, Just thank you for today. Uh, Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Uh, Father, I ask that you can just highlight the text in your word. Uh, Lord, I ask that we maybe pay attention to what you're trying to say through these texts. Lord, I pray that we can just be more eager to listen and to hear what you have to say. Uh, Lord, I pray that you can just help us reveal in our hearts what needs to bear fruit and what needs to be pruned, Father, even if it may hurt. Oh, Lord, I ask that you may just use Randall to be your mouthpiece today, Lord, and that he may somehow speak truth into the people in this room. So, Lord, I just thank you and praise you. Amen. Thanks, Evan. Good morning. How's everyone doing? All right, well, my name is Randall, and I am the pastor here at Grace City, along with Billy, and uh, we're excited you guys are here this morning. You made it through the rain. You made it through the rain, all right. So we are surviving the rain here in San Diego, and um, we are starting this new series right now called Abide, and the focus is in John 15. Now, when we started Grace City, um, all of us, you know, just coming together, a year and a half ago, uh, the, the heart behind it was that we were going to start just going through the book of John, journeying together, and we come to this point where uh, John 15, 1 through 11, we get this idea of abiding in Jesus. Abiding, like what, what does that word mean? It's staying, it's remaining, it's saying this is my safe place, Jesus. Um, before uh, me and my family uh, processed like what it looked like to church plant and do all that. And so this is a church plant. If you're, this is the first time today. We started just a year and a half ago. And so there was a verse that a friend gave me and it was this verse. And so this text to me is extremely important uh, for, for me. And here's the thing he said. He, he handed me this text, this good friend. He said he's a prayer partner for this church. And he told me, he says, Always remember it's about Jesus. Always remember it's about Jesus. Like no matter what you're going through in life, no matter the difficulties, no matter what's going on around you, it's about Jesus. And so uh, this church is all about Jesus. It is. It's his church. And the message today is this, enduring growth. Enduring growth. 
And I use that word enduring for a reason. Because you're gonna have to endure some things in life to grow in Jesus. You know, we all need growth. Uh, renewing, transforming, lasting growth. Uh, whether Christian or not today, all of us, if we're honest, have had moments that have scared us. Right, like we looked in the mirror and it's, it scared us. Where we thought, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I never thought I was capable of that. You know, what pushes us into moments like that? When we go through the difficulties of life. When we try to endure the pains and obstacles that come our way. Usually what happens in those moments of fear, the real us comes out. The real us comes out. Wes Craven, who was a movie director, said this. He says, the first monster you have to scare the audience with is yourself. It's yourself. You know, we're coming out right now in, of this time where right here in our neighborhood, one woman was shot and killed and seven were shot and wounded. And we live in this community where you think, there's no way that something like this would happen in our neighborhood. How could that be? See, there's something deeper in us that should scare us. It should. And so we say, how can this be? Ephesians 2, 2, 2 uh, tells us that apart from Jesus, we're all spiritually dead. There's a deadness in us. That's why books like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll, <laughs> Dr. Jekyll, yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah. We resonate with that, don't we? Say, am I living this life like that? See, all of us have been in a place where we say, okay, I need change. I need change. We need transformation. And so much of our society is chasing after change through our own methods. We have this title, self-help. Self-help, that's gotta be the answer to what we need. In 2000, uh, May of 2014, Lindsay Myers wrote an article called the self-help industry helps itself to billions of dollars. And here's what she says. Self-improvement represents a $10 billion per year industry in the U.S. alone. This begs the question of how much good these self-help books and seminars are doing for, for consumers. If they are so effective at solving our problems, why do they usually result in a continuing stream of self-help purchases? Most people who bought into this idea continue to buy more and more self-help resources. When is real change gonna happen? From this article, Myers tells us that self-help is a booming business. If we think about that, doesn't it make you a little sick? It's a business. 
there are people who are out there who are genuinely craving change and saying, I, I wanna be different. But the best we can come up with is a business strategy. And what we find beneath the surface is a business strategy can't change a monster. And so from the Bible, what does genuine, lasting change look like? Is it possible to have enduring, transforming growth that makes us unrecognizable when we face some of the biggest challenges in our life? According to Jesus, the answer is yes. Yes, it's possible. And so how does this kind of growth happen? It doesn't happen through a self-help strategy of saying, well, I'm just gonna lace up my shoes and pull myself up by my bootstraps, you know what I mean? That kind of thinking. It's not gonna happen like that. It's not gonna happen that way. See, Jesus says it's, it's a much dire situation. He says we're spiritually at a dead end without him. But here's the beauty about Jesus. Jesus takes dead people and brings them to life. He resurrects people. And so I, I wanna spend the rest of this time talking about what that new life looks like. What does it look like to be in this new life in, in Jesus? And so our text today is John 15, one through 11. Just to give some background, this is Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. This is an important moment. He is going to die soon. This is his last huddle with his friends. He's bringing them all together. And so during this discourse, Jesus teaches his disciples and us that the enduring growth we all need is abiding in three ways. It's abiding, it's remaining, it's staying in three ways. So here's all three. It's living in Jesus, learning the imagery, experiencing his love. Living in Jesus, learning the imagery, experiencing his love. So the first one, living in Jesus. Look at verse four. Verse four says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. What this verse is telling us is that God is not an abstract idea out there or a force. He's a person who offers us a relationship. What Jesus is saying is this. Everything that you need in life is found in me. He's inviting us to a relationship with himself. Now, this is unique because no religious teacher ever made this type of claim. There's no religious teacher that says, hey, life, you want to know what life is about? It's in me. Here's what they tell you life is. Go out and do these things. Here's some principles for a better life. Go live this way and you'll find out what life is really about. Jesus says, no, live in me. Find life in my life. This, ver th this verse is not pointing us to live a better version of ourselves. 
It's pointing us to trust Jesus and be given a completely new life. How does this happen? When we start to see Jesus as our covering, our shelter, coming under him and saying, okay, there are things that are coming at me in life, but God is my protection. It's, it's, it's about Jesus. See, I've learned a lot through my kids, and I have three. One, uh, my son is seven. I don't know, I think he's like in the light booth right now. He's been helping like the past three weeks doing lights. I'm like, okay. Um, so, and then my five-year-old daughter, Elle, and then my three-year-old, Ava. And um, what I've learned about uh, them is that they, they, they really live this out. So, um, when Ava goes through a difficult time in life, <laughs> three-year-old, right? You, you have challenges as a three-year-old. Where does she go? She runs straight to her room and she'll slam the door behind her with some attitude. What she is doing is she's saying, this place, this space, that's where I feel safe. That's my protection. That, that, that's where I'm gonna go when life gets really difficult and my sister pushes me. I'm gonna go hide in my room. And what Jesus is offering is this. He says, when life gets difficult, when life gets tough, when things challenge your character, when things aren't going your way, where are you gonna run to? Where are you gonna abide? What's your safe place? And Jesus says, would you abide in me? Would you find a home in me? Would you find shelter and protection in me? See, instead of going to others and gossip and abiding in other people, he's saying, would you come to me in prayer? Would you come to me in prayer? He's saying, when you're thinking, okay, I need some advice right now. I don't know where to go. Life is hard. Instead of opening up another book about how I can improve my life, would you come to my word? Would you read my word? Would you hear my voice through that? Well, God, I don't know which direction to go. What do I need to do? Would you seek my will? Would you seek my plan for you? That's what it looks like to abide in Jesus. See, Jesus invites us to hide ourselves in him, to find refuge in him. Psalm 32, seven says this, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. See, when David is 
giving us this, this text that we read today, he is being pressed. And instead of saying, I'm gonna let the monster come out, he's gonna say, right now I'm gonna press into God. I'm gonna press into God. I need God, I need him to surround me. I need him to protect me. He protects us through the difficulties of life. See, Jesus tells us to live in him. That's what it first means, to abide. Abiding is living in him. Second is this, learning the imagery. So look at verses five through six. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like, branch, uh, like a branch that, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now in this section, Jesus gives us a picture of what living in him and abiding in him looks like for a Christian. And what he does is he uses a gardening analogy. Uh, Jesus points us to vines and branches. Now, we, can, we learn two things from this. The first one is this. When the branch is disconnected, it becomes worthless. When the branch is like disconnected from, from the source, it becomes worthless. My girls love picking flowers. Like, I really think that um, at Torrey Pines, they put up signs because of my family. <laughs> there, there's this thing, like, where they said, like, you can't pick flowers and all that stuff, and it, we got caught one day. Our girls got caught. They're, they've got this whole handful of things. But the thing about them is, that, you know, they pick these flowers, and they love it for, for a moment, just what it was able to offer, but eventually those flowers, they die. They die. They don't last because they're not connected any longer. And so this is also true spiritually. You and I can't make any progress in our Christian life apart from God, apart from him. He's saying like, it's that important that you are connected to me if you want to see progress. I remember I was um, talking with a guy one time. He told me, he's like, uh, I grew up in church my whole life. I was like, cool, man. That's, that's great. Like, that, I have a different story than that. And we just started sharing a story, and he's like, I was like, you know, when did it become real for you? Like, when did it become real? And he said, huh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> there has to be a point where it's more than just coming to church. There has to be a point where it becomes real for us, right? And so for us to be connected to Jesus, do you have a real relationship with Christ? Do you have a genuine, growing, thriving relationship with him? Because if we're disconnected from him, we won't grow. We won't be able to. 
See, that's why it says in Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So what he's saying is this, that if you're saved, like if God has saved you, it was God's work. God did it. But a lot of the times what we think in our Christian life is like, cool, I got this relationship with Jesus now, I'm a Christian, now let me go do Christian stuff. Now let me go be a Christian and cut some things out. I'm gonna do this thing and I'm gonna go be a Christian now. What the Apostle Paul is saying is you can't perfect yourself. You can't grow in your relationship or you can't grow as a Christian without your relationship with Jesus. You have to be in him to grow. You have to be in relationship with him to grow. And he will do the work in your life. It's different. So when the branch is disconnected, it becomes worth it. We can't. We can't do it. Cannot do it. So we have to learn the imagery. The second part of this imagery is this. Growth takes time, but it's inevitable. Growth takes time, but it's inevitable. Here's the thing. Like, you look at a little seed, and you plant that seed, is it gonna grow to its full potential immediately? No. We all know that, right? And so the same thing is true in our lives. Psalm 1-3 says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. What it's talking about in Psalm 1 is somebody who is connected to God. It's connected. And, and so you want to know what your relationship with God is like. He says, go look at a tree. Go sit and look at a tree. You want to learn the imagery of your relationship with God and your growth in God? Look at a tree. It starts with looking at a tree and saying, okay, how did the tree get to where it's at? It took a lot of time. It took a lot of watering. And eventually it grew. Eventually it grew. But here's the thing. When you're in God, it's not if you're going to grow, it's when. It is inevitable that you will grow in your relationship with God if you're in God. That's the only thing that happens. He's a God that works on us to the point where we we will grow. For us to truly grow in God, we must understand that we can only do it on his strength and it will take time. And the time part is really hard for us, isn't it? Because in that space, in that time space, we think, hold on, but what if I struggle? What if I mess up? What if things get really hard and the monster in me really does come out and I'm like, okay, what's gonna happen with me? Here's the, the best part. And we need this last point. It's experiencing his love. It's experiencing his love. Look at this, verse nine and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus here talks about the Father's love for him. And you have to think about this, like how, what, what kind of love was that? This is an eternal love. See, if we think about God for just a minute, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, all the way back in Genesis, God has been in his loving relationship for all of eternity, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Infinite love. Unbroken love. And God says, I want to love you like that. I want to offer that to you. I want you to know that no matter what you go through in life, no matter what difficulties you face, no matter how many hardships and and, and mistakes and sins, I want to love you with a love that doesn't give up on you. An eternal love. The word John uses depicts a perfect love, a completed love. D.A. Carson writes, Jesus depicts his love for his own as a completed thing. So eminently does the cross stand in view. Does the cross stand in view? Experiencing his love means continually looking at the cross And know that Jesus didn't just say, hey, I love you. God loves you. He didn't just say that. He showed it. He proved it. God proved his love to you and me. And he said it was meant to be experienced. To experience it in a real way. A heart-changing way. It says, my love never ends. So abide in my love. About this passage, Tim Keller says, how do Christians handle criticism? How do Christians handle a bad childhood? How do Christians handle the fact that nobody has asked them out or nobody has agreed to go out with them? How do Christians handle those things? They say, I am a son of the king. I am a daughter of the king of the king. My father loves me with a great love and the only riches that count, the only love that lasts, the only family that matters, I already have. I have it. I don't have to seek it anywhere else, but in Jesus, if you are abiding in him, you've got the love that you've always needed. And it's a constant, continual love. See, and and here's what it is. When you're abiding in him, his love changes us. It's his love. It brings us through the hardest moments in life. Despite our mistakes and failure, Jesus loves us. How do we know it? Because we look at the cross. We think, how could God have loved me like that? And so just some takeaways for today. Uh, The first one is this. 
any spiritual progress is because of Jesus. Any spiritual progress that we make in our lives, if you grow, if you change, any of these things, like it's because of Jesus. Our growth comes out of a love and appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. It's like, wow, I can't, I can't believe he loved me like that. See, because what we find, what we think, this is the natural thinking that we have. That growth is based on doing more, earning more, striving for more. If I just do a little bit more, then God will finally love me. But God flips it. He says, I've done everything to love you. I actually loved you first. I actually chose you first. I actually came after you and pursued you before you ever thought of me. You see, he flips it. And what he says is, it's finished. It's finished. See, when we become Christians, we either shrink the cross and say, ah, it's, I know, Jesus died for me. I know the cross. And so we just say, but when do I get to the real stuff? When do I get to the deeper stuff? And so what happens is we shrink the cross in our lives. We say, I don't need it that much. Jesus, teach me some other stuff. And what happens is this. We end up pretending that we're better than we are or we end up performing and trying to earn God's love. So what happens when we, when we really grow in Jesus? There's a chart that I wanted to show that here's what it looks like. Two things about God. The first is this. God is immensely holy. We, we know that. Like he is perfect. And so a lot of the times what happens is we, we look at God's perfection and say, well, I, I gotta be holy as God is holy. And so we try to do it on our own strength. We try to grow towards God. We gotta, I gotta grow in holiness. But we negate the cross. We say, I, got, I gotta do it. And we turn Christianity into self-help and it's not. God's holiness and what we need is a knowledge of our sinfulness. Like we're not as good as we think we are. That's why we pretend so much in church. That's why. We pretend because we we try to act and say, well, uh, I don't know if I can open up about that. I I don't know if I can say that I struggle with that. I don't know if I can be honest about that. And so what we do is we just pretend and walk around with masks. But the way that you grow and I grow is this. It's not that God's getting any holier because he's holy. It's our awareness of his holiness. It's an awareness and saying, whoa, like God is that holy? He's that amazing? And not saying that I can attain it, but the cross bridges the gap. 
And then also knowing that as we grow in our relationship with Christ, you're going to be surprised. You're going to say, where did that come from? I never thought that was in my heart. I never thought I could do something like that. And we can be scared by it and pretend like it's not real. Or we can be honest and say, not, that's not the real me. Right, don't we say that? It's like the thing, right? What you, that wasn't the real me. Then what was? What is? I'm scared, you know? Like, I don't want to, I don't know what the real, like, if that's the excuse that we use, that's not the real me. Then we don't understand who we are. We don't. And so if we're able to acknowledge, whoa, that really scared me, and that is the real me, I really did get mad at that instance. I, I, I was really rude in that instance. I did this thing. Like, if we understand that, then we say, man, I really need the cross. I really need Jesus. He's all I got. And here's the thing. As we grow in our awareness of those two things, God's holiness and our sinfulness, what happens is the cross gets so much bigger. It gets like, whoa, I can't believe it bridges the gap that big in my life. How could God love me like that? So that's what it looks like. It's all that Jesus did for me. And that's how I grow. I start to see it more. That's what the Spirit does in our life. That's what God's Spirit does as He's working on us. Here's the second takeaway. This is the last one. Growing pains are necessary. Growing pains are necessary. Um, my son, he'll, he'll be in his room sometimes. He, he'll start, he, didn't even, he doesn't know what's going on. He's like, ah, ouch. Oh, my knees hurt. Oh, my legs are killing me. He's like, what is going on? And I told him, I was like, son, it <laughs> happens to all of us. It's called growing pains. You're actually getting taller, even though you look pretty short. <laughs> You're getting taller. That's great, man. But it hurts. See, as Christian, God allows us to have growing pains because it's a part of the journey. But here's the cool thing. When, when we know God, it's not just pain, but it's, he can use it for his glory. He can use it to teach us. It, it could have purpose. See, if we experience pain without Christ, there's no promise that we'll grow from it. There's no promise in that. But when you're abiding in Jesus and you're going through pains in life, Jesus promises that he will change us. He will change us. He will make us more like himself. That's why Romans 5, 3 through 4 says this, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? You rejoice in sufferings? That's one of the strangest things I've ever heard. Like, wh- how could you do that? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. 
You ever sat down with somebody before and you thought to yourself, I want to be like them. They've just got this amazing character. This character that just seems unshakable. I want to be like that. But we don't know the story of what got them there. We don't know the growing pains that it took for them to have the type of character that they have because here's the thing, we don't come out with amazing amounts of character. And I love my kids and I'm for my kids but they they have a lot of growing to do, right? And so like as much as I would like to think that it just kind of happens in your personal character, it, it isn't like that. It's through growing pains and growing pains are necessary. You might ask, but what if I grow through pain and and I can't see the purpose. I just can't see what, why that would come into my life. In those moments, we have to trust God's character. The thing that we know about God is this. He's not malicious. He's good. He's a good God. And so, This is what Charles Spurgeon once said. He says, God, listen to this, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Do you hear me on that? Like, okay, so there's character transformation, things that we go through in life. God, you're just being unkind to me. Why would you do this to me, Lord? How could you allow me to do this? God is not unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. He's an all-knowing, wise, powerful God. See, and here's the thing. A lot of the times what happens is we think we know we think we know. Oh, I know what God's doing. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't, because if we did, we'd be all-knowing. But what God says is that he's all-knowing. And so that's why we need to know him and trust his heart. Trust that whatever we're going through, it's, it's not because he's trying to hurt us. There's a story, as I wrap up, in the Chronicles of Narnia, it's the voyage of the Don Treader. And it's a series of children's books that were written by C.S. Lewis. And in one of the books, there's this boy named Eustace. And his cousins could not stand being around Eustace. So negative, hard to be around, just difficult little boy and what happens in the story is this that he wanders off alone and he's changed from a boy into a dragon because of his greed his greed it changed him into a monster said that he had greedy dragonish thoughts And what we find with Eustace is that at one point he's trying to 
become a boy again. And so what he does is he's trying to transform himself. He's trying to change himself. He's just ripping and clawing at himself, trying to get this skin off of him, the scales, everything. And so when he would claw, it would grow right back. And then the Christ figure in the Narnia series, Aslan, uh, who's a lion, comes to Eustace and he says, you will have to let me undress you. He says, I got to do it. I have to be the one who cuts the junk away. And here's what it says. It says, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I had done it myself, the other three times, only they didn't hurt. And there it was, the scales and everything, lying on the grass. Only ever so much more thicker and darker, darker and more knobbly looking than others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as I peeled, switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. He threw me into the water. And this dragonish little boy who turned into a beast was transformed. He was transformed. He says, after a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. New clothes. The only thing that can kill the monster in all of us is the only one that's equipped to do it. His name's Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and faced down the monsters that we could have never faced, sin and death. And he said, I'll take the death blow. I'll take the thing that we all deserved. We deserved it. Because if we're honest with ourselves, our actions are our fault. We did it. But instead of Jesus saying, yep, it's your fault, he says, I'll take it on myself like it's my fault. And I'll take it all the way to the cross. And I'll die for you. And I'll raise again. And I'll offer anybody who says, I want to change. I want a new life. I I don't want a better version of me. I need a new life. I'll offer it to him free of cost.
See, that's the gospel. The good news is that none of us earned it, deserved it, but purely by his grace, he says, I love you. Everything you need, I've got. That doesn't mean that life's gonna get easier, but you can know that I'm with you through it all. And what I'm doing is I'm tearing off the beastly stuff in you so that you can be who I meant for you to be. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for how you change us. And we just pray, Lord, that we will be in tune with what your spirit is doing. And God, that um, you'll change us from the inside out. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.